going to be in at verse 14. Later on, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. John the Baptizer was arrested. Jesus went back into the region of Galilee and preached the wonderful gospel of God's kingdom. His message was this. At last, the fulfillment of the age has come. It is time. Now, that is a powerful word there for time. It is more than just chronological time. It is the moment. It's something that in the Greek language is called a kairos. Okay? It's the moment. We have those moments in our lives, right, that we remember that time that something happened. So this is what Jesus is saying. For God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness, turn your lives back to God, put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. As Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he noticed two brothers fishing, Simon and Andrew. He watched them as they were casting their nets into the sea and said to them, come follow me, and I'll transform you into fishers of men instead of fish. Immediately, they dropped their nets and left everything behind to follow Jesus. Walking a little farther, Jesus found two other brothers sitting in a boat along with their father, mending their nets. Their names were Jacob. Now, in your translation, they say James, but <clears throat> mattering in how it translates out of the original language, Jacob and John, or James and John. Their father, Zebedee, Jesus immediately walked up to them and invited the two brothers to become his followers. Jacob and John dropped their nets, stood up, left their father in the boat with the hired men, and followed Jesus. Lord, we believe you to speak to our hearts uh, through your word, and we trust you, Father, for it in Jesus' name. The title I've given the message this morning is probably a title that I've given more than once. But the title is this, Become a Follower. It's a term that Denise and I often use when we talk about we're trying to identify ourselves as Christians with others. In this current postmodern age, we often say uh, we're followers of that person, Jesus Christ. Um, the good news that we're proclaiming this morning is this. It isn't just that we chose to become followers of Jesus. But later, this is what we're going to see. Jesus chose you. He chose me. He chose us to be followers of him. Not, not so that we would perform a, a certain code of conduct or, or that we would have a certain set of truths that we all agree on. He chose us because, watch this, he believes you can be like him. Write that down. Jesus believes in you. And he believes that something can become visible that would never be able to be visible on our own. The eternal love of the Father in the present, in real time, in tangible lives. It's the gospel. Um. I was asking my wife as we were driving in this morning, I said, honey, do you remember this young man? And there was a young man in my life, and she couldn't remember him because he was a part of my life uh, just about the time that Denise and I began to, to date and get to know one another. I met him in my sophomore year in college, in Bible college, and I think his name was Jared, but I might be wrong. It's been a while. 
Um, <clears throat> but he arrived. I remember when he arrived uh, on the campus, and this dude was on fire. So what he didn't have, you know, he, and he came to the school with very little support, very little understanding of the Bible. So uh, he kind of came with this sort of attitude. What he didn't have in knowledge, he made up for with zeal. Okay? Uh, which is interesting for a college student. It's really bad, like for a medical doctor, if you run into a person like that. Like, you know, I want you to know what you're talking about, not just be zealous about it, you know. But here this guy was just passionate and zealous, and it was tangible. And he quickly connected with me because uh, I guess I was patient enough to listen to him. A lot of people got irritated with him. Uh, he was kind of over the top with his zeal. Uh, he was, in his, in his zeal, what he quickly let other people know that he was talking to was they weren't as zealous as he was. And he saw everything in black and white. Okay? Um, and what had happened, and I don't recall how the world this guy got to Bible college. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I know he didn't grow up in a church background. I, his family wasn't there supporting him. Somehow somebody suggested that he should try going to Bible school. Bible schools are, can, can, can be a good place. It's just not a place to be discipled. Okay? It's a good place to learn about the Bible. Um, so here's what Jerry struggled with. He'd had this moment, and I think it was like on a, he'd gone away on a retreat, if memory serves me right. He had this radical encounter with Jesus. And I believe in, in that if, if memory, again, is connecting in the right dots, he went to like a worship weekend. And this is before worship. I mean, this is 40 years ago. But um, I think he went to a Keith Green concert. And, you know, Keith Green was like, you know, fiery uh, revival teaching kind of uh, uh, Christian artist. And so when, when so I, you know, I, I got, forming a relationship with him. And, and what I begin to find out is that I was more like an older brother. And then later I began to realize, oh, I'm actually maybe a little bit like a father that he didn't really ever have. Um, and, and again, after this radical moment that he encounters Jesus, he's everything always, he tried to interpret everything in his life through the very narrow lens of understanding that he had which for him wasn't the scripture. It was the lyrics of Keith Green's albums. And specifically the song about the sheep and the goats. And so, you know, that kind of worked for, for a minute, but here, here was the problem he would run into is in his weakness, when he felt like somebody had failed him, he would, he would turn and accuse them and, and in his lack of maturity and formation and his lack of ability to bear with the weakness of others, he would conclude that he was a sheep and everybody else was a goat. Okay? He was fairly judgy. And so he could easily dismiss the value of anybody around him. College professors, they're all stodgy. They don't, they're, they're not really passionate for Jesus. And, and so this... He, he didn't last long, is my point, in school. Uh, he, I mean, partly because he didn't get his work done. Um, we kept in touch. And see, at the core of his challenge was a need for formation that was more than just about information. Like surrendering 
to a truth that was bigger than I just got saved out of my sin, a, a, a beginning with, oh, I'm actually loved by God. I don't have to prove something to him. He was always trying to prove something. And, and, and so his basic need, again, I, I want to say, I don't think I was really capable of even helping him at the time. And, and unfortunately, I would say for most people at the Bible school that I went to who would have their exchanges with him, uh, they began with these unspoken assumptions. For instance, that he had a basic understanding of the Scripture, especially of the Gospel. So many of the times, he, the, the help that he would be offered would be in the form of antidotes or advice. You know, try this. Stop that. So my point is, you got this guy who's had this great weekend, but yet he really struggled in the basic of his own life. Like, there was no discipline in his life. Uh, he, he didn't know where he was heading. Uh, he asked me sometime later, shortly after Denise and I were married, he asked me to, to, to uh, marry him, now, I did, you know, him, the gal that he had uh, met, and I didn't, I didn't do the wedding. Uh, he was terribly hurt by that. Um, and, and partly at that time, because I said, no, man, you're not ready for this. Um, I got a call maybe uh, a little bit less than a year after that, and he was at the bus station. And he said, could you come and get me? He had just come back from basic training. Um, and I remember the difference I saw in him. Now, I, I, I want to be, I want to clarify, I'm going to clarify what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make right now, but uh, in, in just a moment. But he hops into the car and he's no longer looking disheveled. You know, his appearance is put together. He, he has things put together. He sits in the seat next to me upright. He, when I began to ask him questions, he had a confidence in his voice. He, he seemed to have a confidence about his future. And his words were no longer filled with blame about how he was being treated. Interesting. Now, uh, interesting that later on he called and he asked for my forgiveness for not listening to my basic attempts to invite him to take ownership for his own issues. Um, now, we stayed in touch, but I, I don't remember uh, exactly. We stayed in touch for a short time, and then we lost touch. But, but I remember the difference of a young man who'd had what I'll say is a camp experience and then another one who had boot camp experience. In one experience, he had he had seen and experienced something was needed in his life. He knew the lack that he had, but he had no way of addressing it. In his boot camp experience, he began to inhabit life differently. Now, I want this is what I want to clarify. I don't believe boot camp is discipleship. Okay, let me be very very clear about that. What I'm trying to point to is that. What he began to experience is what Jesus reveals when he begins to call these disciples. And in Jesus, in the first century, they, they would have rabbinic teachers. Jesus is a rabbinic teacher by now. And, and they would go and they would invite individuals to follow them. Now, in fact, I'm going to clarify what that was. They didn't actually invite them. The, the, the followers would say, can I follow you? Um, 
So to become a disciple of a rabbi was a lot more than just registering for a camp or a really good conference. Are you guys connecting with what I'm trying to get at? Okay. Because a good conference, a good meeting, it is, there can be an encounter there. But when, when you became a disciple of a rabbi, you knew that this wasn't just going to be for a weekend or a week. Your life would forever be shaped by that rabbi. And it was something that people had come to expect. If you became a follower of a teacher, you were agreeing. You were, in fact, deciding to become like them. To inhabit the world the way that they did. To follow your teacher meant far more than just agreeing to a set of codes or truths, but it changed their life. They would follow in the footsteps of that teacher, and it began to reshape everything about their life. The Jewish sages of the day would urge their disciples with this phrase. They would say, uh, be covered in the dust of your rabbi, meaning this, that they were so living so closely with that rabbi that it was indistinguishable. They, they were literally everywhere they had been. It, it meant that not that they would become dirty, but that they would become like their teacher. That was always the goal of becoming a disciple and a follower. Last week, again, we, we looked at Jesus' call of Philip and Nathaniel and Jack. Again, I really appreciated your sharing. Now, Jesus' cousin, John 1, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now his cousin has been arrested. Mark 1. Now, let me make sure to sidebar this because we in, in, in a cultural America need to hear this. Please don't miss this because it's a very loud point. Jesus doesn't lead an action against the injustice of what's happened to his cousin. What he says is, the time has come. Let's all rally against Herod. No. The time has come. Repent. Change how you think and how you live because the kingdom has arrived. It is time to change how you inhabit the world. Beloved, if we hear no other message this morning, may it be this again and again and again. To follow Jesus means to change how I inhabit the world. Lay down your nets. Now, was Jesus interested in just making their life miserable? No. Um, you know, this is really pretty radical because... You got four fishermen. Now, first we had, uh, last week we had Philip and Nathaniel. Now we've got, um, and, and I believe history tells us one of those guys was a farmer. Uh, now we got four fishermen. And these four fishermen would have had some kind of hope that if things go well, the market is good, nothing breaks. I could not only make a living, but maybe make a little more than a living. I could actually do fairly well. And yet they drop their nets. Again, this it's not it's, Jesus didn't come and just you know do the uh, the Star Wars thing. You will follow me. 
again, culturally, let's get our head around this. They knew there's this rabbinic teacher. See, they didn't even believe in themselves that much. But suddenly they have a rabbinic teacher that says to them, um, follow me. It was radical for this to even have happened. Because I'm going to jump ahead of myself, but for most in most discipling settings, the, the rabbi would have folks that would begin to follow them, and they would listen and answer questions, and that's the way it went back and forth, answering questions, asking questions of the rabbinic teacher, back and forth, back and forth. The rabbinic teacher would ask, they would answer. And then finally, this follower would get up enough nerve to turn to that rabbinic teacher and say, can I become your follower? And the, it, was, it was an amazing day when the rabbi would say, yes, you may follow me. Well, that suddenly meant they're not just a fisherman. Now they are going to become a rabbinic teacher, respected, cared for by the community and respected in the community. So, beloved, this wasn't just some sort of like invitation had all kinds of expectations with it. They knew this is going to change my life forever for the good. I won't be subject to whether or not we had a good harvest or a bad one. I'm going to be God. Yes. Beloved, here's, here's the thing. Most of us, when we attempt to say, Lord, what does this mean when you invite me to follow you in what I want to say, religious America, where we are, where we live in postmodern, uh, by, by that meaning that we're in post-Christian America, okay? The pendulum has swung. We've lived with enough religious knowledge and cultural freedom that we have a very big challenge understanding what it means when we see Jesus talking about being a follower because we're like, oh, I know what that is. I'm joined the church. I'm a part of that church. I went to a really good meeting. I went to camp and I had a profound story. That's awesome. I'm not trying to take away from that story at all. I believe they're real. I believe we all need a radical encounter with Jesus. But but here's what it what we're talking about when it means to become a follower of Jesus is it isn't just that we're saying, Lord. I'm going to try to cram a little bit more of you into my busy schedule. But give me an imagination that I could become the kind of person that Jesus would be if he were you. And that's exactly what he believes. I'm going to jump forward. I'll get here in a minute. Remember John 15? You didn't choose me. I chose you. That you would bear fruit. So to become a follower. Wait. To become a follower. Let's get this in right where we are. Postmodern America. It's more than a transaction of understanding the right information or having the best behavior, it, it is like, I, Lord, I begin to inhabit life differently. Jesus said, yeah, come follow me. Oh, by the way, we're going to a cross. And it's, you know, it's where, where we lay down our life. Uh, Jesus comes and embraces a cross, not as the means to an end to satisfy an angry judge, but rather for the joy of opening the floodgates of life 
and love for all of humanity. He overcomes death by death to bring life to all of us. So to become a follower means I lose my life and I can actually find it. And the life as it was intended to be, a life of knowing God, loving God, representing Him. That means, that means for me, as I live in a world that I've grown up in, where I hear messages every day, independence, isn't it great? A declaration of independence shape our thinking even as quote Christians. Jesus says, if you come follow me. And Paul says it this way, you're going to be transformed in the way that you actually think. That God himself lives in the place of interdependence. Wait. It's not about independence? No. That's a bad theology actually. Individualism. Consumerism, materialism, I mean, I can go down the list, right? But they're not the highest goal. So living with an abiding loyalty to the love of the Father revealed in Christ means that as I begin to inhabit what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that oftentimes that first impulse is laid to the side and to say, Jesus, would you live in me? And suddenly, even as Denise and I were chatting on the way on the drive-in this morning, we're like, slowly, we begin to watch our need to have to judge others fade because it's no longer me against you or us versus them because my first impulse is the impulse of Jesus, which was actually loving people and forsaking anything that diminishes their value as my neighbor. Anything. But there, no, no. Jesus said, here's the command I'm leaving with you. I, I was reading and praying into uh, some different passages early, a couple of mornings back, and I read something from Dorothy Day. She was the co-founder of the Catholic Workers' Movement. And um, she talked about those who, who uh, turn from Christ. She says this, they turned from Christ crucified because, and she was talking about, the. she lived, she, she's from in the United States, okay? That's where the, this whole movement began. She said, you, you turn from the poor because Christ is crucified because he was a poor worker, buffeted, spat upon, beaten, and strange thought. The devil has so maneuvered that the people turn from him because those who profess him are clothed in soft raiment and sit at well-spread tables and deny the poor. This is her phrase. It was riveting. Here are the atheists. Oh, ow. What I want to inhabit. What it means to follow you. Jesus said, you want to be a follower of me? Here it is. <clears throat> Greatest commandment. Love your neighbor. To become a follower means I'm living a life of allegiance and loyalty to him and to him alone. So, beloved, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a big, big challenge um, as we begin to consider how to 
unpack all of that around us. So part of what that means is I've got to address the fact that if I've grown up uh, in what I'll call religious America, I'm kind of picking on America today. I don't mean it. I, I'm, I'm very grateful for where I, where I live. But, but we need to understand there's some pre presupposed ways that surround us. Like we, we're, we live in a nation where it says under God and in God we trust on our bills. Um, and yet what we're invited to, according to Jesus, is follow me, which means that your agenda needs to go. Jesus said the kingdom is here. And so you have Andrew and Simon, James, John, you know, Philip and Nathaniel already there along with them. Repent and follow me. Rethink. There needs to be a rethinking. And I've alluded to this earlier. Let me just sidebar it one more time. Jesus, not at one time. Not at one time. Think about this. He gives the woes to the religious community, uh, and Luke records the, the, the seven woes. But, but as far as the political decadence of the day, and it was bad. This is documentable. You've seen the stuff that the Greeks and the Romans both built and did. It's documentable. And yet he never railed against that, as if that was the problem. I could even talk about, you know, Jewish puppet leaders and that kind of thing. But here's what Jesus did say. He said, well, you know, what are you doing? He said, I only say and do what I see the Father doing. So, you know, I think back about my friend. It's like the biggest need that we have, oh, Lord, I need to capture a vision of you again. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you and who you are. A new vision that I, so I have to <clears throat> abandon that mantra that is deep in the bones of this body that says security and belonging and significance are found in materialism, consumerism. Uh, they're actually found in following you. I got to lay down that agenda. And, and that the highest commandment, love, is enough. It's enough. It's enough to reveal the kingdom of God in 2024. It's enough. Beloved, uh, we, we say I pledge allegiance. You know, I, I want to just say this. We... Um, Allegiance is about our loyalty. Let me give this, uh, let me just quickly wrap this, uh, wrap some words around this. Allegiance is about a deep and abiding loyalty to the love of the Father revealed in Christ, that I live both in word and deed with an abiding allegiance in all of my life to his, the truth of his love for me and my neighbor. Therefore, as I was sharing a moment ago, we begin to say, oh, wait, there is an atheism that's around me. Yeah, there is. So, Lord, I, I want to be, I want to live with allegiance to your invitation. We're saved by faith. Well, I think actually allegiance is a really good description of the word faith. Uh, allegiance is about the loyalty of my life to the way words, to the ways. How do we, how do we word that, Denise? We want to live according to the ways of Jesus and the, and the words of Jesus, but to his ways, his methods of inhabiting life. Amen. All right. Um, one of the last things, I, I, I kind of run myself out of time, but the last thing I, I, I want to touch on, um, 
being a follower of Jesus means also that we address uh, this issue of inhabiting our life. N.T. Wright uh, gives a definition of a sin that's interesting because, you know, I almost every day I pray this prayer, Lord, we, you know, we confess we have missed the mark. We've sinned against you in thought and word and deed. And that's, that's a good way to word it. Um, but a, the understanding of what missing the mark is isn't just about what we've done or not done or places that we've messed up. Sin isn't necessarily about our failures and our mistakes. Sin is about our failure of worship. What's actually captured our heart. Um, a failure worship is about failing to live as God created me to live. And that word worship has got all kinds of baggage right now. Worship isn't about an event that I go to. It's not about the 20, 30 minutes that we sing songs. I'm grateful for it. But it's about a life that we inhabit. Peter says it this way. One of the first you know, six guys that were called. Later on, he says, um, uh, you've been called out of darkness and into his wonderful light that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is about your life proclaiming uh, praise unto him. And so remember last week when, when uh, and Jack taught on this passage out of John 1 where uh, Jesus prophesied this over these first two disciples. Said, you know, you're going to see heaven opened up. And immediately for them, they're going to be like, oh, that's like what Jacob had. He had a dream. And the significance of the Jacob dream is this, and we've, we've talked about this before, but I want to make sure to talk about it again. Um, the heavens opened up. Isn't so much about like, wow, I'm going to get this really stunning dream. It's that Jacob was in a place he was utterly and totally convinced where many individuals believe they are today, alone and apart from God. God's not here and I'm by myself. Jacob wakes up from that dream and says, God was here? <laughs> what? Oh, my word. He could show up here? I just had this really bad situation happen in my life. I deceived. I'm running away from my brother because I think he's going to come after me. I mean, you know, there's, just, there's all kinds of stuff in that story. He's leaned into his own wisdom. How awesome is this place? It's the house of God. Where I didn't think God could be. Oh, beloved, I, I, I pray, I, I've shared this before, but you know, I often pray this prayer like, you know, Christ before me, but in, then in the things that I see, no one understand, but Christ behind me in the things that I don't see, I don't understand, I don't discern because I believe in the God who comes where I didn't expect him. He's the God who comes at Bethel. The heavens open. God, you're here. So here's what it's confronting. I'm not alone, and you're not absent. Oh, wait, those are the words of Jesus. I never, never, ever, never, never going to leave you. I'm going to come to you. So oftentimes we've had a gospel that has been an, a gospel that's it addresses the issue that we feel so much of, which is lack. Remember that story of my buddy? You know, like, it was all about lack. 
Lord, wait a minute. You're here. You're present. Jesus said, the time's come. Here it is. The time's come. Oh, revolution, Jesus. No, the time's come for you to repent and surrender to the moment of inhabiting a whole new way of living in life. Follow me. Because I believe you can look like me. Now, let me go through this in a fast-forward fashion. Uh, Philip, we heard about him last week. How, hangs out with Jesus for three years. He sees signs and wonders. He hears the Sermon on the Mount taught. He heard about the Mount of Transfiguration. He heard the Beatitudes taught. He's seen some stuff. People raised from the dead that were there, that were dead for a while. He has seen some stuff. John 14, he hears that Jesus is leaving, and he said, ah, show us the way. Show us the Father. That will not. In fact, if he just shows the way. So after three years, you got Philip, and a little bit later there in John 14, Nathaniel, same kind of echoing a very similar word. Uh, Jesus, we're pretty convinced about you. We think you're a good rabbi teacher, but um, we also see a lot of things that are around us that seem and feel bigger. They're still sure there's something else that's lacking. So show us the way. Maybe there's another law. Maybe there's a policy. Maybe we need a whole boatload of money. Lord, I don't know. Whatever it is that's on his mind, it's, it's, as he hears Jesus saying, I'm about to go, He's thinking, he's feeling a lot more like Jacob. I'm alone. I'm abandoned. Will you please just show us the way? And again, before we get judgy, I think about the amount of times that that is me, that, that I interpret my relationship with Jesus on the basis of what I lack. And maybe if I pray enough, he'll come do it. It. it and Jesus said, no, I, I, want, I want you to repent. And remember what he said to his friends, you know. Um, I'm the way. Show us the Father. That'll be enough. <laughs> he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then, by the way, this is so awesome. You know, it, just, I mean, think about in real time, in real time, human terms, what that moment was like. Jesus doesn't get upset, off-put. Three years I've been with you. I started by saying, you're going to have to change your mind. And I noticed that you're still needing to. But then he ends in John, that, that was 14. In 15, he said, let me just say something to you. You didn't choose me. Remember that? Oh, yeah, wait, wait, wait a second. That was the way that they did things. Jesus said, I'm coming to do things differently. I chose you. Choose me. It's good news. Isn't that good, Dave? I just looked at my wife and I want to cry again. Because he believes, he believes that we can look like him. And here's my parting no, it'll, it'll be fruit that'll remain in verse 17, John 15. Here's my parting volley to you. Here it is. Just hang your hat on this one. Love one another. The way that you inhabit, it's going to be interpreted and seen and visible, not by how much doctrine you can spew out of your head or your lack of that doctrine. It's actually in how you love me and one another. 
So, beloved, it is good news this morning. Becoming a follower of him isn't about a code of conduct. Yes, it mat- it's going to change how we live. Yes, I want to be a kinder man tomorrow than I am today. But it's not about my performance. It's not about the greed set upon truths. It's the fact that he, he chose me. He chose you. He believes that we can be like him. He believes that we could be what we never thought we could be on our own. The representation of the love of the Father in the present in 2024. I proclaim that over us as good news this morning. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.